As a confidant and coach to business leaders, I know a lot of people who are rich and miserable and those on the opposite side of the spectrum. So let's pull it all together, shall we? We'll explore the intersection between wealth and joy. We'll look at the psychology, spirituality, and practicality of money, plus some of the things that make up a truly lucrative lifestyle. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucra Life. Today would have been Sean's 43rd birthday, And as I was considering what to post on his behalf, it occurred to me that a lot of people who are familiar with him through his viral videos on Facebook and YouTube may not have ever had the chance to hear his keynote in its entirety. So I decided to make this episode one of his entire keynotes so you can hear the magic and joy that was Sean Stevenson on stage in front of a live audience. If you want to celebrate Sean's birthday with me, have some Mexican food, which was always his birthday request, and definitely churros for dessert. Those were his favorite. So with that, Dr. Sean Stevenson. Dr. Sean Stevenson was predicted to not survive at birth because of a rare bone disorder that stunted his growth and caused his bones to be extremely fragile. Despite the odds, Sean persevered, and his drive took him all the way to the White House where he worked as a young man. He went on to college and eventually earned his doctorate. The Biography Channel produced an hour-long feature on his life called The Three-Foot Giant. His journey has inspired millions of people around the world. Count among his fans, Sir Richard Branson, President Bill Clinton, and His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama. Sean has appeared on everything from Oprah to Jimmy Kimmel, in addition to online videos with tens of millions of views. Over the past 22 years, Sean's powerful message has been heard at live events in nearly all 50 states and in 15 countries around the world. His latest book, Get Off Your Butt, has been translated into 10 different languages. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Sean Stevenson. I was 12 years old when I first heard this song come onto the television. Maybe you've heard it before. It goes something like this. Anybody know what that is? Hail to the Chief. And when do they play Hail to the Chief? When the President of the United States comes out. Now, I'm 12 years old. I'm in my family living room. I'm watching the television. I see this man walk on on stage, and everybody just jumps to their feet and starts applauding. And I'm thinking, I got to have that job. (laughs) I went into school the next day. I went up to all my teachers, and I said, excuse me, I am going to be the president of the United States. Now, do you think my teacher said, yes, you are? Did they say that, yes or no? No. What happens when we tell people our lofty goals? They go, oh, sweetie. (laughs) Pump the brakes, sweetie. But I didn't care. I don't listen to my doubters. I don't listen to my haters. I can't afford the luxury. You see, when I was born, 
The doctors told my parents I would be dead within the first 24 hours of my life. I'm happy to report <laughs> that 38 years later, all those doctors are dead. <laughs> And I am the only doctor that remains. So that goes over really well everywhere but hospitals. They're like, uh, I don't know, should I clap at this guy now? But you cannot afford the luxury of listening to your doubters. If anything, I want you to doubt the doubters. I want you to erase any dialogue that is being had with inside of you that says, I can't do this. You know, that 12-year-old boy had this vision of being the president of the United States of America. And there were some things that I had to learn. First of all, you got to be 35 years old. I had some time, okay? <laughs> Next, you got to understand economics, human relations. you got to know how to pay people off. There's a lot you have to know. <laughs> to become president of the United States. <laughs> but as the years went by, I didn't listen to my doubters. I just had this clear vision in my mind of living at the White House. Now, just by a raise of hands, who have ever had a big vision? Maybe, like, let's try this out. Raise your hand if you've ever wanted to write a book. Okay, put it up high. Put your hand down if you haven't finished writing it yet or published it yet. Okay, we're losing a lot of hands. So, we have these visions. We have these things inside of us that are so calling us. But sometimes as the years go by, we think, oh, because time has passed, it's probably not going to happen. But for me, I was like, I don't care what others are thinking. I just need to get some proof. I need to get some traction on this goal. So when I finally got to college, I thought, Sean, if you're going to go live at the White House someday, why don't you first check out the decorating and go work at the White House? See if you even like the place, all right? And I remember the day that I applied and got the letter in the mail to tell me whether or not I had been selected to work in the White House. Now, just by a raise of hands, who have ever received either an email, a phone call, or a piece of mail that the information inside of those communications would change the course of your life forever, right? It's that moment when you're holding the envelope going, I'm not the father, I'm not the father. <laughs> you're outnumbered, boys. So there I am, I'm holding the envelope, it's a bright white envelope. When you get a letter from the president, it's a simple envelope in the corner, blue letters that say, the White House. And my heart was pounding out of my chest. There's still this 12-year-old boy living inside of this college man, and I held up that envelope to my nose, like my nose somehow was going to tell me the truth. Okay, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh yeah. And I opened it up, and it said, Congratulations, Sean Stevenson. You've been selected to work in the White House alongside of the President of the United States. You'll be reporting for duty in three months. We look forward to seeing you. Now, 
Now, back then, I was a single man in college. What do you think I did with that letter? I went around campus to all the ladies, and I was like, hey, what are you doing this summer? Are you doing this? Bam. <laughs> didn't work, didn't work, but I thought it was worth a shot, right? And I remember the first day on the job, going up and down the halls and thinking about the historical moments that had taken place in that location and thinking about how history was made there. And there was something I loved about working at the White House, and that was watching the president come home from traveling from overseas. See, he would land Air Force One at Andrews Air Force Base. And then to get from the Air Force Base to the White House, he didn't just show up in an SUV or a minivan like you and I would. No, he would show up in a helicopter, a helicopter the size of a school bus. And it was dark green with a big, bright white stripe at the top, big American flag painted on the side, and a rotor that you could hear coming from miles. And I thought, you know what would be really great? It would be really cool is if I was in the backyard and I got to greet the president when he came home from work. I mean, little man in a wheelchair with a helicopter landing nearby, what could go wrong? <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. So there I am. I have my schedule lined up with the president's schedule because I needed to have official business to be out on the South Lawn when the Marine One helicopter landed. But I didn't have any official business, so I had to look like I had official business, right? So I put on my busy face. You know what your busy face is? It's kind of a combination, if you can get a real tight picture of me right here, it's a combination of uh, looking like you have constipation, but you might also have diarrhea. It's a... <laughs> and when you put on your busy face, everyone in the vicinity around you goes, oh, I don't want to get near that. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be that busy, right? So I put on my busy face, I put an envelope under my armpit, and I headed out. And I could hear off into the distance the helicopter. Oh, and that 12-year-old boy inside of this college man, he was so excited. His vision was coming more true. And I get to the South Lawn entrance. And the doors are closed. And there weren't those handicap-accessible buttons you guys know what I'm talking about, those buttons when you're carrying lots of pizza and you hit it with your butt and you're like, oh, how convenient. <laughs> They're not for you. <laughs> and if I could digress for a moment, you know the larger stall in the bathroom? That's not your dressing room. You know, people, they... With this disability, people always tell me weird things. They, people often feel the need to tell me, Sean, my grandmother's in a wheelchair. Which I always like to respond, oh my God, my cousin's also an idiot. Anyway. <laughs> South Lawn, the doors are closed. 
And I am seeing the helicopter hovering about 10 feet off the ground outside. And I'm thinking, Sean, you got to get outside. That 12-year-old boy, he was excited. He wanted to greet the president. And then I thought about something. I remembered something from high school physics. Something called momentum. If I could just get enough running room, I could get up to 88 miles per hour. And I could bust through those doors. So now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm getting myself ready. I'm psyching myself up like I'm a running back. And those are the linebackers I got to get through. And I'm like, you got nothing. You got nothing, son. And I took off. Wham, 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 bam. The doors flew open. And now I get outside. And I didn't expect what happened next. A giant wall of wind slapped me in the face and blew me back into the White House. And I was like, oh, no. And now I am huffing and I am puffing and I get outside. That wasn't that bad. And have you ever gotten a little cocky? Have you ever thought you achieved something, but you really fully hadn't yet? Has anybody in your seat ever been cocky? I'm just curious. All right, so I see off in the distance a tree, and it's waving at a different speed of all the other trees. So I look a little closer, and I see 12 men in all black military fatigue, they're climbing down ropes and running at me with submachine guns. And I look down at my chest, and I see little red laser dots. Well, I'm glad you think that's funny. They don't know. This is the emergency response team. If you get past the Secret Service, these are the ones that take you down. And they don't know that I know the President of the United States. Now, I don't know how perceptually aware you are. <laughs> but I can't run. <laughs> but something inside of me that day jumped out and said, ah! Ah! And I raced to the helicopter, and the helicopter door swung open. And the President of the United States stepped out, and he looked at me. And that's when I realized, you better have a vision for your life. You have to have a clear vision in your life for what do you want with your finances? What do you want with your relationships? What do you want with your family? Where do you want to go? What do you want to have? Because most people outside of these walls, they're roaming the planet completely unclear of the vision for their life. If you ask most people on the street, what do you want? They'll say, I don't know. I'll tell you what I don't want. I don't want to be fat. I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be angry. I don't. They know very clearly what they don't want. So what do they get? What they don't want. Because the vision is in our mind, and we keep having it over and over and over. And here's what's happened. When you are focused on what you don't want, 
It's like you're walking backwards into your future. Now, I don't walk, so you're going to have to help me on this one. But what happens when you walk backwards for very long? You trip. You bump into things. You get off course. And when you're focused on what you don't want, when you're so obsessed with worrying about what you don't want to have happen, you are walking backwards into your future. And that's why I believe you came here, because you want a very clear vision for your marketing, very clear vision for your purpose, a very clear vision for what is your intention behind being a coach. Raise your hand if you love helping people. Keep your hand up if you love to market. Okay, honesty, I like this. This is good. Now, most of us, we want to help people, but we don't want to have to market ourselves. We don't want to have to tell people our price. We don't want to have to discuss the money thing. Can't I just be a healer? just want to heal. <laughs> just, just, can't my phone ring? And, and, and I pick it up and I say, how can I heal you? <laughs> oh, you, you already paid me? That's great. Because then we don't have to talk about money. And the phone keeps ringing. Isn't that, wouldn't that be wonderful? No squeeze pages, no conversions, no Facebook ads, no traffic, never having to figure out anything about marketing. That would be wonderful. But you know what? I'm going to tell you, that's not real. You're here to learn how to grow a business. And the only reason why you would ever be afraid to grow your business and market and tell people what your value is is if you didn't feel it was a value. If you feel in your heart that you have something to share with the world, maybe it's an incredible story about your transformation or incredible information that you came across that helped you or others, and you want to share that with the world, you need to be telling everybody because you're doing a disservice to the planet if you are just waiting around for somebody to ask you, oh, what do you do? Oh, how can I hire you? You can't wait. Do you know how many people are on this planet in pain? When I am preparing my talks, I spend more time visualizing you. I visualize what pain is in this audience. What struggles you're going through. Because when you focus on what is out there to help and why you have this incredible vision to go help those people, you will stop worrying about yourself. You will stop worrying about talking about money or telling somebody what your rates are or sharing with anybody marketing material. Please hear me clearly. If you're worried about growing your business, you're being selfish. You need to be thinking about others. I take this stage with confidence because it's not about me anymore. I had to come across that realization that this is about you. 
And I love human beings. You're my favorite animal. I love human beings. Because it doesn't matter where in the world I travel to. Whatever group I'm speaking to, if there are humans in the audience, I know it's going to be awesome. Because we all share something in common. I'll prove it to you in an activity right now. Raise your hand if you've ever been happy. You don't have to be happy right now. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever been sad. Okay. Raise your hand if you think you're sexy. I got some bad news for some of you. And the bad news is, I caught you looking around for approval on, hey. Hey, Marge, am I sexy? I don't know. I don't know. So what do we share in common? Emotion. Repeat after me. We all have emotion. And emotions are amazing. Emotions are amazing because they add the color to your life. You know, if you want to be good at communicating, then just learn how to exchange information. But our digital devices can communicate. I want to teach you to do something different. Something I think is a little higher frequency. I want to teach you to connect. Because connection is an exchange of humanity. It's an exchange of emotion. It doesn't matter if you're having a one-on-one -on -one dialogue, you're, speak you're speaking to a small group, you're in front of a large audience. If you can exchange emotion, you can create influence. If you can create influence, you can lead. You can serve. You can build your business. You must get good at exchanging emotion. Because emotions impact our attitude. I'm going to show you how I'm uh, going to give you an activity that's going to prove that to you. Raise your hand if you have ever been in a scenario where you've entered into a room, and even though there was a lot of people around you, you felt all alone. Raise it up high. Yeah. So. I'm going to show you with an activity here about how it doesn't have to be like that. So this is how emotion impacts our attitude. I want you to put your posture into the form of somebody who is afraid of their own shadow. Okay, this isn't television. I can see you. So like, do this with me. Okay? So you're afraid of your own shadow. You're shy. Okay? Now I just want you, as if you were the most shy person, I want you to say hello and greet, your, greet the person on your left and right. Do that now, as if you're the most shy person. Hi. 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 Okay. Shake your body out. Shake your body out. And say, whoa, 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 whoa. Now. I want you to visualize a person who is extremely arrogant, totally self-centered. Some of you are like, oh. <laughs> Be myself. 
I want you to imagine as if the, you are the most arrogant person alive and you would like to charge the people around you for breathing your oxygen. And I want you to greet the person on your left and right now as if you were the most arrogant person alive. Clap once if you can hear my voice. Clap twice if you can hear my voice. Clap three times if you can hear my voice. Clap four times if you can hear my voice. And that's how you control kindergartners. I once gave a speech to 1,000 kindergarten students. And this, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, the teachers decided to stand up and have a meeting out in the hall. A Navy SEAL couldn't have done what I did that day. Now, I want you to shake your body out and go, Now I want you to visualize the most warm, connected, friendly, loving person. Step into that person now. And what I want you to do is I want you to clear your lap for a second, stand up, and greet the people around you as if they are your best friends, you haven't seen them in 10 years, and they're not on Facebook. Clap once if you can hear my voice. Clap twice if you can hear my voice. Clap three times if you can hear my voice. Clap once if you can hear my voice. Clap twice if you can hear my voice. Clap three times if you can hear my voice. Clap four times if you can hear my voice. I always run the risk I always run the risk of asking an 800-person female-dominated audience <laughs> to hug each other and think I'm going to get their attention back. I just... <laughs> Kindergartners, you guys, I don't know. So let's imagine now that, well, first of all, was the energy shifted in the room right now? Oh, yeah. Welcome. <laughs> you all know each other because you've touched each other. Some of you haven't been touched in a while. <laughs> so let's imagine that three employees from this resort came in here, one at a time. Employee number one came in, saw us acting all shy, and left the room. Employee number two came in and saw us acting all arrogant, left the room. Employee number three came in and saw the hug fest and thought, okay, and then left the room. <laughs> and then they had a meeting out in the hall to discuss this group. Would they have different opinions, yes or no? Yes. But aren't we all the same people, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. 
but we shifted the energy. We shifted the energy because we chose emotions that impacted our attitude that then impacted the way we interact with each other. You know, I think people make a lot of misconceptions about me. They see me up on this stage and they think about, wow, I would love to have his kind of confidence. Like I came out of my mother's womb like, hey, <laughs> Sean Stevenson, what's going on? <laughs> oh, I had to work on this sexy. <laughs> this doesn't come naturally. And I want to tell you that your confidence is a muscle. It's not something you have. I don't have much confidence. It's amazing. People will come to me and they'll, they'll, they'll be that shy person. They'll come up to me, they'll have their head down, and their voice will be soft. And they'll be like, Sean, I don't know why no one takes me seriously. And I'm like, I don't take you seriously. Put your head up. Take a deep breath. Look me in the eyes. Own your space. We teach people how to treat us. Never put your glow on low. Ever. If we are going to shift the consciousness of humanity, it's going to come down to the empowerment of women. It is going to come down to women empowering each other and the men on this planet. But let's be clear, empowerment is not anger. It is not anger because anger is a different frequency. It creates a different energy. When people meet me for the first time and they make eye contact with me, I can tell really quickly how comfortable they are in their own skin. Because if they won't make eye contact with me, if they, if they feel uncomfortable to talk to me, I know that has nothing to do with me. And everything to do with them. Everything to do with how they feel they would react if they were in my body. When somebody is insulting you, when somebody looks down on you, when somebody says mean things and negative and doubting you, that has nothing to do with you. Stop getting so up in arms because the only reason why you would ever get up in arms is if you had a shred of doubt that maybe they were right. I once spoke in an all-female college, and I said, I'm just curious. If I stood up here on this stage and I said that men were superior to women, how many of you would be angry? And almost all the hands went up. And I said, but if you didn't believe that without any ounce inside of you, it wouldn't upset you. You would question, what's going on with him? Who hurt him? What happened to him? You could separate yourself from the pain instead of merging with it. And that is the power of connection. It's an exchange of humanity. Some humanities I don't exchange with. Some I say, I'm going to love you from a distance. 
But let's be honest. There are people in our lives that annoy us, that irritate us. Raise your hand if you have somebody in your life that annoys you. Okay, don't look to your left or right. That, that would just be awkward, okay? And sometimes we have to deal with these people. I dealt with these people when I was going through a child psychology course. I was in college, and I would leave my campus and go down to a local grade school near my college, and I would work with these 50 elementary students. Raise your hand if you have children, okay? Raise your hand if you're ever a child. Were you ever a child? Okay. <laughs> So I was working with this before and after school program where the parents would drop the kids off maybe about an hour and a half before school, keep them there about a couple hours after school because maybe there was like um, two working parents or one single parent. And it was my job to teach these kids valuable lessons about life. And one day, I was in the gymnasium with these 50 students between the ages of kindergarten and sixth grade. And they were in a semicircle around me, what they call crisscross applesauce, right? So their legs are crossed, and I'm teaching them valuable lessons about loving yourself, about sharing, and about being kind. And as I'm talking, something comes flying at my head and hits me at the head, in the temple. It was a shoe. Now, I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, shoes don't fly. <laughs> so I started looking around the room for a shoeless child. <laughs> Found him. I call him Shoeless Joe, okay? Now, I'm curious. No legal ramifications against you on this question. By a raise of hands, how many people, if a complete stranger threw a shoe at you, would consider throwing it back? Let's be honest, okay? <laughs> now, there were 49 other children in this room, and while this kid is cracking up hysterically, do you think the 49 other children sat there quietly and thought to themselves, oh, Sean, that poor child has lost his way. <laughs> and I shall sit here quietly as you appropriately discipline him. Did they do that, yes or no? no? No. No, they acted crazy. They were bouncing around the walls and they're going nuts and I was furious. I lost complete control of these children. Finally, the parents started coming one at a time to pick up their children. And I was left for an additional 45 minutes with one extra child. Guess which one? I'm pretty sure it was Satan. Pretty sure. And I'm thinking out of all the children they could leave me with. Finally, the back door of the gymnasium opens up and this elderly lady comes waddling in and she says, it's time to go. He says, see you later, Sean. Scurries out the back door. And I headed to my vehicle that was in the parking lot behind the school. And I was frustrated. Have you ever wanted to help somebody that didn't want your help? And right before I got to my vehicle, I heard a voice come from behind me. Sean, wait up. 
He was the principal. Sean, how's your class project? How are the students? <laughs> They're all a bunch of angels, except for this one child. Principal said, oh, I know who you're talking about. There's something you need to know about that child. I said, no, no, I'm good. He said, well, Sean, I just wanted you to know that uh, two years ago, that child's father killed that child's mother. And the father went to prison for life. The mother is gone. And the only living relative alive to take care of him was his grandmother. And she had to pick up two side jobs just to financially support the two of them. And I just thought you should know that. By a raise of hands, who wants to throw the shoe back? Oh, where'd my angry mob go? <laughs> oh, I get it. You got another piece to the puzzle. Then when you clipped it into place, more of the picture appeared. But do you know how often we throw the shoe back to the people in our lives that we think we know what they're going through? Look, I'm not here today to tell you I know what you're going through. I didn't grow up in your town, more than likely. I didn't have your set of parents. I didn't have your set of past experiences, nor do I live in your body. I have no clue what you're going through. You know, you saw my intro video, and it talked about my credentials, but I'll tell you, I really only have one thing that I am good at, and that's how to be me. And I do it well. But that's because I am clear that I am an individual that is completely connected to you only through emotion, but not through experience. I cannot tell you I know what you're going through because I don't have a clue. But we need to go back to bonding through that emotion. And when that child hit me with that shoe. At first I was so furious, and then I got that piece of the puzzle, and then I wanted to race after that grandmother and child, scoop that kid up, hold him close, and tell him, I will mentor you, I love you, I, I forgive you. There are people in your life right now that are in your life on a daily basis even, and you think you know what they're going through because maybe they're your spouse, maybe they're your child, your coworker, your friend, your parent, whomever. But you don't know what they're going through. And when their behavior seems out of line, put the shoe down. Take them to lunch. Take them out for coffee. Sit them down and figure out what's causing this behavior. Because you're going to have challenging customers. You're going to have clients that you're going to be, oh, I can't believe this one. And you can start to take it personally, but then you drop any chance of making a long-term impact. It's better to get to know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, I have had an incredible life. And when people meet me, if they don't know anything about me, it's really interesting because I can see that moment when they're looking me up and down and they're thinking, oh, Sean, I, I'm glad that you, know, you have such a great attitude, but I got to tell you, 
you know, that body looks challenging and, and I can't imagine what that must be like. And, and they start to feel sorry for me sometimes that they don't know anything about me. But they would be so far off from the truth. I live the life of a rock star. I get to travel the world, stay in some of the most beautiful parts of the planet, share the stage with some of the most powerful human beings. I married one of the most amazing, beautiful women. I am so blessed to be on this planet. But I got to tell you, I try to make it look easy. But it's not easy. I still have to be carried in and out of the car like a child. I oftentimes need help getting dressed. There are a lot of things that I deal with. And I can tell you, honestly, that growing up, there were many times where I felt sorry for myself. And there were those times where I was really feeling like, oh, this, why am I dealing with this? But everything changed on one day when I was in fourth grade. And it was Halloween. What do children love about Halloween? Just yell it out. Candy, the parties, the costumes. Do you know why I loved Halloween? Because it was the one day of the year where everybody got dressed up and I got to blend in. You know, most of you are going to spend your life doing things to stand out, to get attention. Let me tell you, that is not my concern. I don't ever think, are they going to remember me? No, I'm like herpes to the soul. You can't get rid of me. You take one look at me and you're like, long-term memory bank. You can't scrub Sean Stevenson from your mind. So you can't make assumptions, right? So fourth grade Halloween, I loved it because I got to finally have that blend-in moment. And I was in my living room. My mom was making our lunches in the kitchen, taking the backpacks out to the minivan. And when I'm out of this wheelchair on the floor like I was that day, I look like an adorable roly-poly bug when I'm on the floor. It's true, I really do. And I'm on this floor, and I'm rolling around in my costume. And I'm thinking, oh, I look so good. I can't wait to show this off to my friends. And as I'm rolling around, I catch my left leg on the corner of the door. I bent it back, and I snapped it at the femur. And if you've ever broken a bone, you know there's a bit of a time delay. Between hearing the sound of the snap and feeling the pain. And whenever I would break a bone, my temperature would rise. And sweat would begin to burn down into my eyes. And my breathing would become irregular. And I remember I was laying on the floor in the living room. And it felt like somebody had stabbed me with a knife and was twisting the knife. And I screamed something out loud that we've all thought, we've all said, said, why me? What did I ever do to deserve this? 
And my mom, she comes running in the room. And she kneels down beside me. You see, my parents couldn't rush me to the hospital. There's nothing the doctors could do for me. So my parents just had to keep me immobilized for four to six weeks and wherever I fractured. Didn't matter if it was the bedroom, the basement, or like that day in the living room. My mom would play this little game with me to try to transport my mind as far away from the pain as possible. She said, shh, sweetie, what was your favorite part about our last vacation? Except I was furious. I didn't feel like what I had gone through I had deserved. Have you ever gone through something in your life where you think, I'm the good one. Why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. And my mom could see that white hot anger in my eyes. So she leaned back. And she proceeded to formulate a question. A question that forever changed the course of my life. It's why I'm here today. Sweetie, is this going to be a gift or a burden in your life? I'm thinking, is she crazy? <laughs> a gift? You and I have had gifts, right? They come on our birthdays, right? We open them up and we're like, woohoo! How could this be a gift, Mom? But before I could say anything, something magical took place. Something I cannot explain to you with science. It was like this warm wind rushed into the room and swirled around my body. And then it all became clear. You see, I loved my life. Amidst all the pain. And what I got in fourth grade and the clarity in my life was maybe the purpose to why I was in this container and had to go through this was to teach the human race how to love their life amidst their pain. Because maybe you've never fractured a bone, but I know you've fractured. I know you've got fractures in your marriage or your finances or your own health or connecting to your children. You deal with fractures. I believe we are all going into, through, or out of some kind of pain in our lives. My mom went on to say, Sean, pain is inevitable. It touches us all. Suffering is optional. And I'm here to tell you, if you're in this room right now and you're going through some pain, I don't have some kind of magical fairy dust that I can blow into this room and all your problems will go away. And I'm glad I don't have that dust. 
Because if I took away your pain, I'd take away your strength. If I took away your pain, I'd take away your persistence. If I took away your pain, I'd take away your character. The things that you've been most challenged by in your life are responsible for some of the coolest things about your personality and your life. 200 bone fractures, multiple surgeries. I've been stared at every single day of my life. I'm never going to climb the steps. I'm never going to run. But you know what? This has been an incredible life because I learned to master my emotions. You have a choice. Let your emotions master you or you master your emotions. And if you can get really good at mastering your emotions... You can influence others. And if you can influence others, you can lead. You can grow your business. You can make an impact. So no, don't keep praying for no more pain. Don't keep putting out the energy of, I want an effortless life. Don't do that. Because you are robbing yourself of your strength. You go to the gym and you go check out the weight bench and you see the weight machines. They're not easy to use. They cause a little stress. You have to put yourself under some load to build those muscles, to build up that bone density. But that's how we grow. We grow by being in pain. You don't have to stay in pain. You don't have to suffer. But pain is just a part of the experience. And I find that that you have a choice. You can either... Run from pain and have all of your decisions be, how can I avoid pain? How can I avoid pain? Or you can choose what kind of pain you want to have. I choose to have the pain of the gym and working out. I choose the pain of sitting with a piece of paper and reading a thing called a book and going all the way to the end of that book. Sometimes that's a little painful when it's much easier to scroll Netflix. If you get me, say, Amen. Amen. You have to choose your pain. Let me tell you, I got married. I chose my pain. (laughs) But there's no other pain I'd rather have. When you choose the pain, you are in the driver's seat. And magical things can happen for you. I'm going to teach you a quick formula to being unstoppable. I'm just curious. By raising hands, who would like to be more unstoppable? Yes. To be unstoppable, you have to climb a pyramid. And here is the pyramid. At the base of the pyramid, you first have to deal with your insecurities. Anybody in here have any insecurities? Anybody? Anybody? I read a study that said something like, two out of three people have insecurities. I'm like, uh, the guy writing it was lying. Because it's three out of three. Every single one of us has insecurities. Repeat after me. We all have insecurities. insecurities. And because we all have them, there's a way that you can live your life so that your insecurities don't get to control you anymore. You see, when I was developing my career, I knew that I had these insecurities, and they they would sometimes just kind of show up late at night. You ever notice that at night, 
it was dark out, maybe no one's home with you, and you're all by yourself, and, and you hear that little voice go, hey, psst, psst, hey, come here, come here. You really suck at everything. <laughs> and you're ugly. this coming from? That's your insecurities. But I'm going to tell you why you have insecurities. It's not because you're flawed or broken or bad or somebody hurt you. No. You have insecurities because it is just a part of you that is not fully involved. There's just a part of your brain that is trying to keep you safe by trying to not get you to go outside of your comfort zone. Insecurities are a hardwired thing. They're not bad and wrong. You just got to know how to deal with them by turning them off. And here's how you turn them off. You have to rid yourself of insecurities and the cure to insecurities. Here's the tweetable moment. The cure to insecurities is self-care. Self-care. So what is self-care? That's taking care of yourself. And here's what I found with amazing women like yourself and some of the gentlemen here too, is that it's very easy to take care of everybody else, right? And to have that badge of honor, oh, I am such a good friend. I stayed so much longer than everybody else at the bake sale. It was amazing. I stayed longer in the office. I helped that friend change their tire. I did this. I did that for all these people. And I don't know why there's nothing left for me. I see this all the time where people take great care of others, but they ignore themselves. The cure to insecurity is self-care. You need to become very regimented about your self-care. I have something that I use to make sure that my self-care works. It's called my consistency calculator. I have a list of all the things that I can do to take care of myself and my business. And I go through and I check mark them off and I am conscious of if I'm not feeling good, if my insecurities are biting at me and I'm doubting myself and I'm feeling like I'm not enough, I just go back to taking care of myself. I leave time for breathing and meditation, stretching and exercise, spending time in nature, reaching out to friends, reading a good book, doing the work on my mind, body and spirit. The next level of the pyramid is you need to align with your life purpose. You need to connect or align with your life purpose. One of my mentors sat down with me once and he said, Sean, why were you born? I, I, I was a little snarky. I was like, uh, my parents did it? I don't know. What are you talking about? Why was I born? <laughs> and you know when somebody's serious and they ask you the question again, why were you born? And then I did something that my wife Mindy has taught me, where you drop down out of your head where all the chatter resides, and you go into your heart where the truth is. 
Because the heart has no questions. And the head has no answers. And he said, why were you born, Sean? And I said, to rid the world of insecurity. And he said he could feel the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. And he said, yes, you were. Because if there was anybody born into any container that would get up in front of the human race and teach us about the fact that we don't need to be insecure and we would trust and listen to this person, it would be you. You see, you got to get this container that I'm in. It's not something I have to deal with. This is a part of the mission. This is a part of the purpose. Your container is a part of your purpose your parents and where you were raised and the things that happened to you is a part of the purpose so that you could create a message that you could connect to people and help people and have that experience for your life purpose. And anytime you're exhausted, you need to take care of yourself and then get aligned again with that life purpose. And last, this one's the hardest. The tip of the pyramid is you need to surround yourself with an empowering environment. Surround yourself with an empowering environment. And that means a lot of things. That means who are you hanging out with? Who are you spending time with? Where do you live? How do you set up your home? How do you set up your business? Who are your mentors? Who are your peers? Who are your apprentices? Because if they are not empowering, it's only a matter of time. I believe that one negative person in your peer group is enough to derail your destiny. I am ruthless about this one, and people don't like it. People squirm, they're like, but what if I'm married to that person? <laughs> Laughter, recognition, I don't know. But you need to... Get clear on what kind of person do you want to be and go surround yourself with that kind of person. Because your environment, when you're in the environment, you become the environment. It doesn't matter how much willpower you think you have. If you are out there wanting to make a difference in the world and then you come home or then you hang out with friends and they are tearing you down, oh, yeah, that's not going to happen for you, or that's a crazy lofty goal, or you, you probably shouldn't do that. Look, I see this all the time. People see in their peer group, they don't want you to get their hopes up. They don't want your hopes up. But think about it. Where should your hope be? <laughs> like, should we get our hopes down? That's smart, Sean. Yeah, that's where we should put them. No, your hopes need to be up. Because guess what? At the worst case is your feelings get a little hurt. But no one died of a hurt feeling. They got up. They had to get back up. And you're going to have moments where you're going to feel knocked down. And you just need to hear that voice inside that you condition yourself with. Get back up. Let's try this. Here's what we're going to do. is We're going to... We're going to start at a whisper, we're going to repeat, get back up, and then we're going to go up at another level of volume, and then we're going to go to a third level. So ready? Whisper, get back up. 
Get back up. Get back up. That's what it needs to feel like. You have to condition yourself. And as the rest of the world is looking at you funny, you got to tell yourself, get back up. And it's going to come from an empowering environment. And sometimes in your environment, there's going to be stress. Raise your hand if you have stress in your life. Oh, you too? <laughs> I'm going to teach you a question that's going to help you with your stress. Write this down. This question has bailed me out a lot in my life. What's funny about this? Repeat after me. What's funny about this? This is a question you're going to ask yourself when you're in the jam and you're all frustrated. And I learned about the power of this phrase and I learned about the power of laughter when I was working on Capitol Hill for my congressman. If you want to laugh a lot, go work for Congress, okay? <laughs> and one day, I got into work early, about 45 minutes early. And I'm just curious, by raise a hand, who likes to show up early to a meeting and just kind of have your me time and prepare your mind? How many people never actually end up doing that? <laughs> but it's great in theory, right? So, 45 minutes early, I have my hot tea, my newspaper, I go into my office, and then I hear that my congressman had beaten me in. He was already in here. And he said, Sean, get in here. Yes, Mr. Congressman. Sean, I need you to run a message to the other side of the Capitol. No one else is here. I need you to get this message delivered. Can you do it? Yes, sir. So I took the message. I had my hot tea, my newspaper, and I headed out. And I went to a part of the Capitol that I had never been to. And I got to the elevator bank. And I can't reach most elevator buttons. So what do I do is I travel with an elevator stick, also known as a back scratcher. I press the button, the door is open. I go inside, doors close behind me. Spin around, I look for my floor, I press the button, except nothing happened. I'm thinking that's weird, I'm gonna try it again. Pressed it a little harder, nothing happened. And then I got a little frustrated, and I started stabbing it <laughs> harder and harder, and nothing happened. And then a light bulb went off inside of my mind. Sean, you just entered an elevator where on the outside the buttons were pressure sensitive, but on the inside they were heat sensitive, and your elevator stick isn't hot enough. And I thought to myself, what would MacGyver do? If I had a pack of chewing gum and a tampon, I could make a bomb. <laughs> so then, I thought, okay, let's do this, Sean. We got this. <laughs> Nothing. 
Y'all remember when you were younger and before they came out with digital thermometers, they had the ones that were the mercury and your mom would put it under your armpit? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I shoved this thing under my armpit and, and I'm getting my juices on it now. <laughs> Nothing. Now I'm getting frustrated. Now I start throwing an adult temper tantrum. You guys know what an adult temper tantrum is? It's a temper tantrum adults have. Okay? And I'm like talking to myself out loud. Right? I'm, I'm, I can't believe they're trapping people with disabilities. They're on the outside of buttons and pressure. This is ridiculous. Why would they trap people like this? This is ridiculous. And I then had an idea that I'm not too proud of. Can I be a little vulnerable with you guys today? That was not very reassuring. Can I be vulnerable? Okay, I decided to sit on my elevator stick. Now I am grinding on my elevator stick. I'm like, who's your daddy? I'm going, and I hit the button. What do you think happened? Nothing. So I asked myself, a question. What question did I ask? The answer? Nothing! <laughs> Nothing is funny about this. And then as I'm grinding my elevator stick, I noticed a little camera in the corner. And I started to laugh. <laughs> you know, when you laugh, you raise your T-cell count. So you actually boost your immune system. When you laugh, you release into your spinal fluid anti-inflammatories. So you actually relieve swelling and pain. When you laugh, you exercise over 200 muscle groups. Laughter truly is the best medicine. And, you know, I travel the world, and I go into some audiences that are very challenged. I go into schools after school shootings. I've been to towns that have been leveled by natural disasters. I've held parents as they sob in my arms because their child committed suicide. I've seen pain. But do you know when I can tell that the healing has begun? When I hear the laughter again. When I hear the laughter back in those halls of the schools. When I hear the laughter back in the living rooms of those homes. When I hear the laughter, I know that the healing has begun. I know this is not a perfect world. I know there's a lot of things on this planet I wish didn't have to happen. I know there's a lot of atrocities. I know there's a lot of pain. I know even in this room that they've, things have happened to you that are just not fair. But I want to tell you that 
The only way that you're going to get back up is if you start to laugh again. You start to look at what's great, what is funny, what is amazing. You need to heal yourself with your own laughter during your darkest hours. You see, because eventually they called the elevator again from the outside. And I went, delivered my message, and then I went down to the maintenance department. to the guy in charge of the elevators. We had a nice little (laughs) chit-chat. And I was like, excuse me, sir, uh, you have a bit of an issue in this elevator. Uh, On the outside, the buttons are pressure sensitive. On the inside, the buttons are heat sensitive. And people with disabilities, their elevator sticks don't get hot enough, and you're trapping people with disabilities. (laughs) And he said in the most condescending voice, Boy, they're not heat sensitive. They conduct an electrical current through your body. If you would have just had a little bit of tin foil on the end of your elevator stick, you would have been fine. comes to work with tinfoil. <laughs> Am I going to be in an elevator like, hey guys, want to make a batch of brownies? What are you talking about? And we started laughing. You have to look for what's funny about your life. You have to have a very clear vision for your life. You have to know how to Control your emotions instead of having your emotions control you because your emotions develop your attitude and the attitude is what teaches people how to treat you and therefore creates the experience of attracting the right kind of people. You have to know that sometimes you're going to come across people. They're going to throw the shoe at you. And you need to be the leader that puts the shoe down takes them out for lunch and says, what's going on? You need to be looking at, when you're in your biggest and most painful moment, where's the gift here? And how do I get back up? And when all else fails, what's funny about this? So there I am, South One, the helicopter lands, the door swings open, and the President of the United States steps out, and he looks at me, and he says, Sean, good to see you, buddy. Sean. Would you like me to push you into the White House today? Oh, Mr. President, that would be an honor. Now, what I didn't tell you is that this whole time, up in the White House on the top floor was my boss, banging on the window going, John, no! I said, Mr. President, that's my boss. He went, oh, hey, buddy, hey. And now the President of the United States is pushing me back to the White House. The South Lawn doors, as if by magic, swing open, and I hear, ba-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da.
Thank you very much. Ready to make your dream your reality? Let's build your business so you can do what you are here to do. I invite you to join my inner circle, the Lucra Collective, a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who got over the limiting belief that they needed to go it alone. Visit lucra.com to join today. That's L-U-C-R-A.com. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.